0: Maybe I need to take that leap of faith now. What's the worst that can happen?
1: This is Zach Humphreys. He has found full-time YouTube success by positioning himself as an expert in the crypto space. By building a community that strives to help everyone grow their portfolios, Zach's passion for investing in crypto has allowed for him to build a full-time income and establish himself as a trusted resource in the crypto space. His motto of be dedicated, not motivated gives him the energy to create multiple videos per day, fueling his Patreon and growing his SaaS company. In this episode, we're going to do discuss how he took a leap of faith when deciding to go full-time on YouTube, navigating scams and partnerships as a creator and crypto expert, turning affiliates into sponsorships by over delivering, and diving into SaaS software as a service to further help give value to his audience. Zach takes the time to not only share his unique income journey, but will hopefully help you understand and not be scared of crypto. Becoming a full-time YouTuber is the dream, but how can you financially get there? Welcome to The Funded YouTuber, where we sit down with successful YouTubers to dive headfirst into the money-making side of being a full-time YouTuber and creator. We will be breaking down their paths of full-time income, sharing struggles, exposing their victories, and literally mapping out their income streams, how they got them, and what they are working on next. The Funded YouTuber is brought to you by Gigastar. Inspired by YouTubers like you, with the vision to fuel human creativity, Gigastar brings creators and investors together. Welcome to The Funded YouTuber podcast, Zach. I'm really excited to talk with you about the very controversial crypto digital currency space. That Welcome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, Desiree. I really appreciate it. And um always, always looking to get the word out on crypto because you're right. You know, oftentimes it does have a negative connotation. And a lot of that's because, you know, what you hear in traditional media and things like that. But yeah, happy to kind of dive into it and tell you a little bit about my story.
1: Yeah. So why don't you tell us, what is it that you create on YouTube? And why did you pick YouTube specifically as the platform for, of choice for yourself.
0: You know, one of the things that I've always uh, been passionate about, and always have been, you know, probably my, one of my strong suits is speaking, writing. I'm more of that side of the brain. I don't know is that left left side, right side. I'm not a math and science person, right? But so I was in traditional broadcasting and sports broadcasting in radio and TV for about seven years. So it's kind of funny. YouTube was always kind of there. And it's, uh, as soon as I kind of started, I'm like, why didn't I start this sooner, right? It's always been a passion in mine. And I decided to get out of sports. I was still working as a college professor, actually teaching broadcasting uh, courses, teaching business courses and things like that. Really kind of started just from wanting to learn more about crypto and saw it as a great investment opportunity. You know, everything when it comes to investing is timing. Right. So people who got in early to the dot com era, right, they made a lot of money and they were super successful at it. So I, I figured, hey, maybe crypto is this next big wave. Maybe this is um, my opportunity as somebody in their 30s to get into something early and started out with it, just started putting content out there. Was very transparent with my audience and that, like, hey, I don't have it all figured out. I'm literally learning on the fly and you're learning with me. And I think people really resonated with that, right, because I didn't come in there thinking or, you know, portraying that I had it all figured out and listen to me. It was just kind of like, hey, let's let's learn together. Let's navigate this crazy space together. And, uh, yeah, it's worked out. So
1: what do you think it is about building in public that people are so drawn to?
0: You mean just like, why are people afraid to put their face out there or?
1: No. So the idea of building is public is sort of this idea, like what she went on this journey. Like, Hey, I'm figuring this out. Like, let's go along this journey and figure it out together. You know, a lot of companies and like new businesses, like, okay, let's go on this journey of figuring out how to make this company successful. And I'm going to like talk about what I've learned, what I've been going through, the hardships, the successes, the failures all together. What do you think it is as someone who has done this as a YouTuber, like you have built a YouTube channel, essentially quote unquote in public. What do you think about that journey was so successful for you? And why did your audience like resonate so much with it?
0: You know, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint it. I think one thing that I've really tried to do is just be real. And, you know, there, there's, there's so much nonsense out there. I mean, I'll tell you this coming from the traditional world, right. You know, you watch the news. It's like, good evening. You know, I'm, I'm Tom, I'm Tom Williams, like tonight at 11, like it's very fake, And I think the more that the internet has become a dominant space, people have kind of picked up on that. And like people know that like, hey, like they're putting on a show rather than just talking to me, like rather than just hanging out like we're in a coffee shop somewhere. So that's kind of the approach that I took. And I, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily something I had thought about, but it's probably just from my experience and something I thought, you know, it was changing, right? And and people want something real. People want something like that. You know, it's not fake. It's not scripted. That's another thing. I really don't script my videos. Like, it's it's very spur of the moment, real, raw, like we're hanging out in a coffee shop. So I think that really helped me.
1: I love that. I my, When I create my content, it tends to be a lot like that as well. I mean, I have, like, an outline of, like, what I need to cover and I can reference. But scripting to me, I, I remember when I went through, like, my scripting phase and it was just – Hi, my name is Desiree, and we're going to talk about this thing today, and it just got a little, like, you can almost see the eyes going back and forth, and it loses that, I feel, like, inflection, and that, like, like I found that I was, like, really still, and I'm, like, a very, like, talk with my hands and moving kind of a person, so I can totally understand, and, like, you could literally see, like, the... The drop in yeah. the analytics, and everything yeah. on the back end. They're like, What are you doing, Des? Like, you're not being a person. <laughs> right,
0: right. And, and, and people know that, right? It, it's not like how we, like, if we're all out, like, friends at a bar, like, we don't, we don't pull out our notes and, like, you know, it, right? We're just, we're just talking. We're just having fun and being in the moment. And I think, you know, people resonate with that.
1: And I love that for you too. So, when was the first taste of income that you got to experience from YouTube that kind of planted that seed to like, a, I could do this full time?
0: Yeah, so I uh, I started YouTube in late 2020, and I didn't get monetized on my channel until May of 2021, which still was pretty good. I got super lucky in the fact that timing really was on my side with crypto, you know, because I was kind of learning about it based on the four-year cycles in crypto. I was like, I, I think this next cycle is kind of starting right now. I better start this YouTube channel and. Uh, Lucky, luckily, I was right and, and the bull run started to hit. So it was kind of a perfect storm where like more and more people are on YouTube and Google searching for things, right? Trying to find out information and I'm this kind of new voice and, and, and helping them navigate all of that. So May of 2021, I, I got monetized and I would say within like three or four months, I was like, you know what? This, this has potential. And by the end of 2021, I, I quit my nine to five job. So if that gives you an idea... Um, A, I wasn't making much money at my nine to five job and B, YouTube started to be, you know, pretty cool. So
1: what were the circumstances that you had put in place that allowed for you to quit your full-time job?
0: Well, I mean, you know, leading up to that point, I was, you know, living well below my means. You know, I I tell the story all the time to my listeners. I was living on $300 a day or $300 a month rather, after I paid my rent. And literally, like, had saved up seven grand when I wasn't making a lot at all just to invest. And that seven grand turned into something much bigger. And that allowed me to kind of have an investing portfolio in addition to, you know, the YouTube ad revenue. And then I said, okay, well, maybe I need to take that leap of faith now. And, you know, what I would tell like future entrepreneurs and future YouTubers and people who wanna do this full time, there's never a perfect time you know people are always like trying to pinpoint like i'll do it when it, when this happens or that happens I- i'm a big believer in like follow your gut and you know like a true entrepreneur like just take that leap of faith right like take a chance what's the worst that can happen you know
1: i always tell people you can always go get another job Correct. Like, that's kind of, I know it might not be like an easy path all the time, but oftentimes it is something that you always can kind of have in your back pocket that you could go do or you could go Grubhub or whatever. So, people's fears around, you know, money and security, like, there are solutions, but I feel like there's a really missed opportunity. Like, Like, but what if it's great? Like, what if this is like insanely financially lucrative for you? Like, what if being able to do this for 40 hours a week? like could amplify your income in ways that you never thought possible before.
0: 100%. And you don't necessarily have to make it your full-time gig either, right? Like you can always do it on the side. And, you know, a lot of people do it that way. And and that's how I did it until I got to that point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to take that jump. And I didn't know when that was going to happen. You know, I didn't know if the timing was right when I decided to do it, but it worked out. But if it didn't, you're right. I mean, you just go back and Okay, find another job or whatever and do it on the side again. I'm just-
1: What's really interesting about, like, I think where we are in, like, the YouTube space. So I've been a YouTuber for over six years at the time that we recorded this. And I've been in the social media space for 15. And it's been so interesting to me watching this over the years. Like, people forget, I think, because they're in it so much, how much this space has changed. And along with it, how much we as people have changed. You know, there's some there's a lot of stories that are happening out like in the creator space about creators who are like, you know, YouTube only wants me to be this one specific thing, but I've grown up, I have grown, my interests have changed, and I am not that anymore. So I'm gonna go start this whole new channel doing this new thing, taking the experiences and the things that I've done over here, and go over here and be able to have that advantage to restart and, and grow something new based on this newer updated version of myself. When we talk about the idea of like, quitting our traditional 9-to-5 job to become full-time YouTubers, this could just be a stepping stone onto the next change that you're having on your life as well. So how it, we live in such an amazing world that moves so fast and changes so fast. Like, I think it's unrealistic for all of us to believe that like, you're just going to be doing this one thing forever. So adapting and changing and growing and using the skills along the way is going to be really valuable for you. And like, your money will reflect that and grow with you as well.
0: You know, I read this great quote, and I don't know if I'm saying it exactly 100% accurate, but this is this is the basis of it. The The biggest winners in this next decade, and it's based on how fast technology is changing us and are changing our world, the biggest winners are going to be able to learn, unlearn, and relearn better than others. And I love that because that is, in a nutshell, what does that say? I mean, it just says you have to be willing to adapt, right? I mean, going back to the, the dot-com era. People who sat there and said, yeah, that dot-com thing, I'll be fine with my brick and mortar. I don't need to have an online store. That's crazy. Or, oh my gosh, you're going to buy a shirt on Amazon without trying it on in the store? You're crazy. Well, look at us now, right? And there's a lot of parallels, I think, with crypto, with that too. Because what's the narrative around that right now? You're into crypto still? You're crazy, right? Well, you're only crazy until it becomes mainstream and then you're not crazy anymore.
1: I totally get this like i became a social media manager in 2009 like it wasn't even a job title or a thing that people understood you're doing what with this facebook thing like facebook had just opened up to be accessible for everybody so being able to pay attention and adapt and see things coming is really an important skill And i think that you kind of like laid out my next question for me really well which is what is the current state of crypto and digital currency
0: yeah we're kind of somewhere in this in-between phase, right? So like pre-2021, it was still like very, very underground. Uh, and then in 2021, it started to become much more accepted and much more adopted by the average person. So before that, it was like very institutional. They had, you know, we had some big players, but really not, no retail demand. But in 2021, and it was kind of a perfect storm in that we had a lot of people at home during the pandemic years. So people were searching, like, how do I supplement my income? What are the next big things? And then, oh my gosh, they found this crypto thing, right? Online usage was like up, you know, crazy, crazy high during those years. Makes sense. And so you have this retail demand now, and now we're kind of back into a bear market. So we know that we have more interest than we ever had before, but we're still kind of fighting this regulation and regulatory clarity in the United States, that battle now But the only reason why we're fighting that battle is because I think the government's looking at it as, hey, this asset class is here to stay. Now we have to take it serious and figure out how we're going to regulate this, which is good, right? I think it's a necessary step because otherwise, pre all of 2021, they kind of just looked at it as like that little thing over there. That's, we don't have to worry about that, right? And now they're almost looking at it as kind of a threat to the traditional financial system, which is good because- This technology helps us in a lot of ways when it comes to moving money around, cross-border payments, things like that. So we're kind of somewhere still in between. You know, when you look at the bell curve, there's a great model, Everett Rogers, he he does the diffusion of innovations model. And basically, he he, he tries to understand how long it takes for something new to be adopted. And it's just a bell curve. And right now, we're kind of just past the early adopters phase, which is about 8%. So we're just now getting into the early majority, which makes up usually about 14 or 15%. So the big chunks are still going to happen. I think we're somewhere in that early majority phase, and then we'll get into the late majority, and then all of a sudden you get some full adoption. So we're still early, but we are chugging along. So we've, we've made some strides in the last five, six years.
1: I think for me, the thing I always found really fascinating about the idea of digital currency is one, like from a personal perspective, like nothing makes me more frustrated than when people ask me to pay for things with the, with the cash or a check. And I'm like, I'm a 38 year old millennial. Like I don't own, I don't have a checkbook. Like I don't understand what you're doing. Like, do you know how much labor it is to go to an ATM and get cash? So the idea of like having digital currency makes sense. And it becomes really frustrating when you go, like when you're, when you're a global traveler, cause like. My bank is like, Well, I have to charge you every time you use your card over in this other country and this other country doesn't want me to pay them in their paper currency. So it becomes this thing. So the idea for me that I like about digital currency and what crypto has to offer is that it can lead us towards a, a global economy. And I think that when you get more into, like we can figure out how to get into a global economy, which I don't think anybody was like really ready to do because they were still dealing with a global pandemic when it became this popular thing. But I think that being able to introduce us or having those conversations, that's really addressing like the reason we had a pandemic was because of how globally connected that we all are now in a way that we weren't even like in 2010, 2015. And global currency, I think, is the next thing for us to do. And I think crypto is laying out that foundation for us, very for sure. But I think that what this pairs with is my next question, which is if we're, we you know, forward thinking and, and looking to the future and planning about what's going ahead, why has crypto become such a problem in the YouTube creator space?
0: Well, I, I think anytime you're dealing with finance, right, anything, there's a lot you have to navigate and you know with with crypto in general you've already got this kind of negative sentiment that has been put out there for you know a number of reasons i think which that that's for another time but you already have this kind of negative idea at least if you're if you're somebody who's not in crypto and you're not in it every day and you're not really learning about it every day what's your thoughts about it oh it's that thing that's only used for nefarious activities and terrorists use it to move money around and drug dealers use it to do this and Right? That's, that's what people would say. So you've already got this negative sentiment, and then you've got a lot of people who are bad actors. I mean, look at FTX, right? So that happened last November. But again, I always tell people, like, FTX is one bad company. That's not crypto, right? It, it's it's just one bad company. But I think you have the opportunity to make a lot of money fast, and people are going to take advantage of that, right? If you're not a good person, you're not a good person, and you're going to do something nefarious like FTX did, And there you go. Right. So those people don't help our cause. However, it's a necessary evil to kind of go through these instances and get the bad actors out to usher in the good people who want to actually add value, which the majority of people are doing that. Right. But the focus and the focal points are always on the negative. Right. Just watch the nightly news like they don't lead with the Boy Scouts of America selling cupcakes at Walmart. They lead with, you know, the double homicide. Right. Negative news sells. So. That's that's why you hear all the negative news stories. You don't hear the feel-good stories that, you know, crypto has been used to help out in humanitarian cases, like, all the time. Like, you know, so you just don't hear those stories.
1: I know here at, at GigaStar that we've had some struggles around crypto where, like, what, the moment that anything that has to do, like Web3 or anything ever gets mentioned or talked about, it does become, like, a stopping point and a hard out, which is, you know, forced us to change our narrative around what we talk about with what we're doing and make adjustments as the company. But I, and I can understand, I think personally how YouTubers are feeling. the way, especially like with what happened. Like I know that we had the FTX issue, but what happened with Logan Paul, with his own thing that he had created with CryptoZoo, where he had l- literally, you know, made his viewers victims of a scam and he has not had any repercussions that have come from it. I know that there's backlashes and things that are trying to happen, but it's still just like, but he's Logan Paul and he made Prime. Like, it becomes right. this becomes this issue, I think, within it. And I could see, like, when we have these really big, notable companies and brands and, you know, creators in our space that have sold us a bag of goods, I, I can see where people would be so turned off by it. It would make it hard for outsiders to trust it.
0: Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point. I think one thing that I've definitely stayed away from, and I think as a content creator in the crypto space, my opinion is you should stay away from this. You should not create a project, whether it's NFTs or crypto, because now you have a conflict of interest and you're, you know, just talking about your project, you know, talking about other projects, like I've done marketing for Gigastar. I think that can work. Obviously, you have to have a disclaimer out there. This is not financial advice. I'm just putting more eyeballs on the platform. Check it out for yourself, give it a look, right? Those sort of things. And just honestly do as much due diligence as you can. You know, I'll tell you this too. I turn down 99% of companies who come through my inbox. And it's, it's a hard thing to do. Like, I, I've hired a business manager to help me with that. It's not an easy thing to navigate, right? Because a lot of people can create a great website and be like, hey, look at us, we're doing some great things. But if that developer decides to do something bad, Well, guess what? Now I'm the public face. Nobody knows the developer, right? But now it's Zach's fault or it's whoever's fault, right? So it's tough. It's a tough space to navigate, but I think as long as you're upfront with your audience and I talk to them just like I'm talking to you like this about this, like I talk about the struggle about like, so I think people know where I'm coming from and I think that that's what matters. It's like, it's when you're trying to hide something, when you say that you're not being paid to, to talk about something that's where it becomes an issue.
1: Yeah. And it's finding that balance that I think all of us as YouTubers have to find that balance with it, especially within sponsorships. Cause it's like, We really like income, and it really helps us to have sponsors. Like Sponsorships is one of the big three. We're talking about ways to make revenue as as creators, but we also have to be really, really guarded of our audience and our own individual integrity. And once it's gone, it is gone. So holding on tight is important, and I love that you shared with us. So thank you that you turned down such a large percentage of sponsorship opportunities that come to you because of like – your vetting process and and how you care about your audience and what they're going through. And then it becomes like the appropriate income opportunity for you. And that requires a lot of work.
0: Yeah, no, it's not, it's not easy to navigate. And I mean, I'll tell you there, there are times where I've still gotten it wrong, but like, okay, what do you have to do? You have to go out there and hit it head on, right? Like if you make a mistake, you make a mistake, own it and go out there and say, Hey, this, this happened. It didn't work out. Right. And I don't try to hide from that. So But it's definitely taught me to, you know, (laughs) say no more than yes, a lot of times in the space. So
1: that is important. So speaking of like no's and and struggles and stuff, could you share at the time, like a horrific money making situation for you as a YouTuber?
0: Honestly, my my roughest patch was probably earlier this year. Beginning of this year was pretty rough and, and late last year after the FTX thing happened. A lot of people were frustrated. They were disgusted. You know, what happened was there that uh, even uh, advertisers were paying less on crypto content after that. So, my RPM, which is how YouTubers get paid, I know you're aware, our per 1,000 view uh, number, that went down, right? So, that was probably the toughest patch that, you know, there were a lot of days there where I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily motivated to make my three, four, or five videos that I do every single day. But, um, I was still dedicated and I knew that I just needed to kind of get through that, that, that rough patch. And, uh, there are still days like that, right? Like motivation is not something you have every single day, but dedication is something you can have every single day. That's what I always say. It's like on days you're not motivated, be dedicated. And that's, that, that kind of got me through some, some rough patches earlier this year.
1: I love that. Be dedicated when you can't be motivated. That's really powerful. I think that I'd love a little bit more personal experiences, like how you have been able to create still when income is not there or is down. Because I think, you know, we, with a lot of people that we've talked to, like they have had a general upwards trajectory. You have had something that was out of your control affect you. Like it wasn't your fault FTX happened. It wasn't your fault that Logan Paul did his thing. It's not your fault that crypto just fell out of popularity for this period of time and it tanked your stuff. How do you deal with something like that?
0: Yeah, it was difficult. You know, it's been a roller coaster because when I first started and first got monetized, it was just like straight up, it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden, you know, quietly it's coming down and then we crashed and then it's up again and then it's down. I mean, that's kind of how the crypto market works anyway. So it's kind of how I operate. And if you're in crypto long enough, you'll know that it's an emotional roller coaster and you can't get too high and too low. Right. And one thing that's really, I think, saved me is, you know, when I started to make some good income, I didn't go out and buy a bunch of crazy things. Like I just kept living how I live. Like I'm, I'm a very simple, you know, person anyway. And I didn't, you know, I didn't go out and spend above my means. So that allowed me to kind of be okay during some rough patches because I still had saved some money had, you know, during the good times. And I know that it's not going to last forever, you know? It's so funny. Crypto will be down eight, 10% one day. And it's just like, oh my gosh, the world's ending. And all you got to do is wait a couple of days and then it's back up. So it's like, it really goes with all types of investing. You got to have kind of like that even keel mindset that just kind of nothing really phases me. I don't get too high and too low. And you've definitely learned that if you're in crypto long enough.
1: So when we look at your income streams, because again, go to our handy dandy pie chart, you have broken down your, your income streams into different parts. And I think that I'd love to know about how these other income streams help level out for you so that you can have like a reliable, consistent income with what you're doing. So you have AdSense as 15% of your income, and then you have sponsorships at 45% of your income. Now, how have, you, how have you able to have sponsorships consistency? Like, what's your strategy around that?
0: You know, one thing I always try to do is I try to meet the company where they are in their process. And so, you know, one, one thing you'll see a lot of people do is they'll have a sheet made up and it's like, here, here are my prices, right? And what's written in stone is written in stone. I don't do it that way. And I did. I, I, did, that, I did it that way for a while. But I learned real quickly that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So it depends on the company size. It depends on their marketing budget. It it depends on their goals. It depends on how long they want to work together, right? So sure, there's more time involved there. But again, I have a business manager that helps out with a little bit of that. He takes some calls for me and then kind of gets it to the point where I can get on and close deals. That's really helped me out quite a bit, and I think people appreciate that too because I think the the majority of people just kind of throw a number out there and and that's it. And sometimes that can work, right? But I think you want to know, like, okay, what are your goals? Like, what's your budget? Like, what do you want to get out of this? What's your ROI? What are are your metrics, right? Like, what, what do you want to achieve here? And understanding that, you're going to be able to deliver more, and then obviously they're going to want to work with you again.
1: And I think that that is an important thing to take into account. Like, I know that some people are really, like, staunch and true to their rate sheet, because they get influx they're in a in high demand, but when I think when you have like a more custom and tailored sort of business, it's in a unique space like you are like you're not like in fashion or beauty <laughs> like you're in right. in crypto and stuff where there's like limited trusted good resources it's it I think that meeting them where they are is really helpful now you also have on your price rate that ten percent comes from affiliates, and I love that you. Um, have your affiliates straight up on your website that you have Zach Humphrey's affiliates are Robin Hood and I trust capital and that makes up 10% of your income. Can you share with me like why you chose those specific affiliates and like why you're just like I just do these for yeah. your audience rather than a ton.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I've got a few more actually too. I got I got to update that website a little bit, but um, yeah, we've got those couple, and then I've got I've got a few more too that I put in the description of my videos. You know, it's always a process to kind of go through all of those because those are probably the most emails I get. You know, affiliate based, whether they be exchanges and they give you a percentage of trading volume, things like that. But really, it's been. Honestly, like the best relationships I've formed with whoever I'm communicating with, like whatever marketing person from that company I'm communicating with and the best relationships that I've formed are the companies I've stayed with the longest. Right. So, yeah, in the case of Robinhood, I Trust Capital has been a great one. What they do is they allow you to kind of invest in crypto into your IRA into your, into a Roth or into any kind of IRA, which is really cool. And they're a big company, but every time like, I go to big conferences, they have a booth and things like that. I go over and visit with them and how are you take pictures, hang out, make a little video for their content pieces and stuff like that. So that kind of stuff goes a long way, right? Like you mm-hmm. want to continue to work with those types of people who, who show you that love back and, and who you really build a relationship with.
1: Affiliates are a great gateway to sponsorships as well. So like as you grow, if like you're in a smaller space, like if you are if you're listening, you're like in the transitioning to trying to become a full-time creator, having really smart affiliates that you can then have data to show to the brand, like, hey, I have this many companies or I've had this many sales, I have done this much attention, I have this many views. On my content related to your content. What do you think about having a conversation about like starting a sponsorship? I've had a long-term sponsor that I've had um, going on three years and it is from this initial like six month period where I was like, okay, I created these freebies and I have this email list specifically made from the product I talked about on your, you know, for your, on my channel. This is the video series I've done. This is what my views look like clearly I'm like a resource for your audience. Let's, let's, let's exchange some dollars. And so I think that that is a really important thing. That's why I, I love that you have done that really specifically too as well.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, going on with that point too, going back to the, the initial question that you asked and, and what I was talking about, like kind of tailoring the deal, something else I try to do up front is give them a very fair deal. And oftentimes even like, less than you would normally charge because then what happens is you overdeliver deliver that first time and then all of a sudden they want to work with you again right so a lot of times people will go out of the gate and they're like let me just try to get as much money as i can up front right
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that, that i don't know if that's necessarily a great plan because again it's kind of like what do they call it like the foot in the door you know technique kind of get your foot in the door and then it's like wow this was great come on in you know come on inside you know that's kind of my thinking around that too
1: I think it's super smart and I stamp of approval support this. <laughs> um, <laughs> as if you needed that. The next you have in here is your membership. Is this like a special membership, like through Patreon or U Screen, or is this like specifically from your YouTube AdSense part?
0: Yeah, so I started a Patreon in 2021, so that's another source of revenue in addition to the AdSense. So yeah, it's really been awesome. It it fluctuates with the market and it's a great spot for newcomers to come in. So I've got five moderators there as well just because I can't be in there 24/7, but somebody's always in there to troubleshoot. And it's a great place if you're just getting started in crypto to come on in and people will help you navigate. Oh, I want to open up an exchange on this, or how do I do that? Or how do I move this from over here? And then obviously we're just having conversations about the market. We've set up channels for, I don't even know now, probably 200 different cryptos and there's threads and you can go back in there and read what people have said and their opinions on it and their thoughts. So yeah, Patreon was a was a great thing to start and uh, you know, I'm actually kind of retooling it as we get ready for the next bull run and you know, I'm, I'm always trying to think, okay, how can I add a little bit more value here and there? So I'm actually kind of in the process of doing that right now.
1: I love that. That we have a question that I would like to ask at the end like what's your next financial move? So it sounds like doubling down on your membership is one of them for you. Yeah. Your final income stream that you have on our pay chart is about courses and digital products. Could you share what those are with us and like how they have been an important 20% part of your income?
0: Yeah. So I have a SaaS company, software as a service, actually relatively new, but it's probably the revenue source I'm most excited about. And so I've been, I've been kind of thinking for a while now, like, what can I create that obviously, you know, my listeners want and need. And it could really add value for them. So obviously, a lot of my you know people are they're traders, right? Like they they, they trade crypto and stocks, whether they're full time traders or they're you know doing it part time here or there. So what I did was I went out and found somebody who builds software that are trading indicators that give you you know momentum up, momentum down signals, better opportunities to know when things are moving up and down. There's nothing. There's never anything 100 bulletproof, but I went out and found the best person on Upwork. He works for the second largest company who does trading indicators in the world, hired him, and, again, kind of going back to our earlier points, took a chance, took a risk, you know, spent some money up front, and so far it's been awesome, and people are loving it. And whenever you're a YouTuber, you have free traffic. You are the marketer, right? So, like, now you don't have to go out and pay. If I were to start, my company's called XTALGO. If I were to go start XTALGO from scratch... I got to go pay and, and market it, but you know, right now in this kind of market, you know, I get about 800,000 to a million views a month. So now it's like, okay, what can I, what can I deliver and talk about on the channel? And it'll help people. This is it. I mean, so I'm more excited about this than anything else because the software as a service subscription-based model, we know how the world's going, right? Like just look around, like how many subscription bases uh, models are, are you a part of right now? Right? Like Netflix start going through, Right. Everybody's probably got five or six or something like that. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped about it. We just launched it in August, and uh, I think the timing is going to be perfect because the market's relatively down right now, but I've seen the Patreon grow in, in an uptrend. I've seen views grow in uptrends, and I think this is really going to be something that can really, really help me long-term and super excited, and I'm getting a lot of great feedback. and So I'm, I'm really, I'm really pumped about it.
1: That's awesome. I love that you built something for your audience that supports what you're doing for them that can also add another revenue stream for you. And SAS is not easy. So kudos.
0: Yeah. And don't, don't hear me wrong. Like I am not a tech person, but I understood like if I go hire the right people, like I know what I want, I know what we need. I can't build it. Right. But I can, I can go hire somebody who who's an expert in it. And, and that's what I did. And, and he did a phenomenal job. And, uh, it's kind of cool. I pay him monthly just to kind of upkeep everything. And then what I did is I hired another trusted source to answer all my customer support emails. So my role is simple. Like I just do my videos. I talk about it in videos. And then if people purchase it, I've got, you know, people in place to to handle that side of it too. And I think that's the key. If you, if you can do something like that and then put the right people in place, you know, you don't necessarily have to have all the answers, right? People are like, well, I don't know how to do that or I don't know. Go find somebody who does, and you do what you do well, and there you go.
1: I think if I had to, like, draw a common thread between all of the guests that we've had on our podcast so far, all of them are like, hire people to do the things you don't want to do. Yes. <laughs> it's like the best way to make like, – like, that's the theme about making money. Like, there, there's this quote out there that always makes me so mad. It's you and Beyonce have the same amount of time in a day. To that, I say you are full of malarkey because – Beyonce has a lot of money, and what she does is she buys other people's time. Mm -hmm. So So you guys do not have the same amount of time in a day. You can increase your productivity. You can increase how much money you make by hiring people to do things for you because that gives you double, triple, quadruple, 10x, whatever, however many people you have. The manpower to build and grow your brand. Now, I love – we talked with Sarah Renee Clark on the podcast about how she's built out her really amazing physical product, the Color Cube. And she's talked about how she's built in her team. And, like, she's starting to – she has a presence online on all of the platforms, Pinterest and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all these places – But she's like, but I don't manage that. Like, that's the team's job because my job is to create the master content and be the face of this. And it's your job with, like, my supervision and and my education and my, like, systems and procedures I put in place for you to make sure that the brand, a.k.a. me, has a presence on these places because you're able to – have have more income opportunities. So for her, she shows up on Pinterest and she backlinks to her product that's sales for her for all of her physical and digital products. You know, it's getting people onto her email list through like her freebies that she offers and being able to have all of those platforms working for you builds income. Do you might might you have to take a little bit of a dip in your costs at the beginning? Yes, but I promise you, you will always be able to be cash positive in the end if you have done the work correctly to make sure that they have what they need to be successful so that your brand can be successful.
0: I love that. And you know, my approach, at least this is how I've done it. I don't know if this is like you know, I really even thought about this, but how I did it was like early on, you know, I didn't have a ton of capital to be able to just pay a bunch of people to do it. Like I'm, I'm growing, but I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't because now you get to learn about everything. So you could do it yourself. Right. But you also get to learn about what you don't want to (laughs) do. Yes, And and you're like, okay, well, I enjoy doing these things. These things over here, they suck my time. I can't stand it. Every time I've got to do it, I get pissed. And yeah, like I'm going to go hire people to do that, right? So like that's that's really – and you only learn that by having to do it all at first, right? And you're like, man, this really sucks. I, I don't want to do this.
1: There are three things that all creators need to have in – three people – in their mind's eye for planning to help them make more money in the future and the first one is going to be a really good accountant and CPA preferably the framing person because you want someone that understands your business really well so that they can understand like why you need to deduct the, the things that you need to deduct or like why did you spend $2,500 in lighting you're like I'm a, I'm a creator like I need lighting for this this is the stuff I'm putting around my house to light my home like this is specific so having a CPA that really understands your business the second one I would say is a lawyer because if you're doing anything in your business, you're going to need legal contracts in place. If anything, having a terms of service on your website to protect you from anything that you're doing. If anyone's giving you money, you have to have whatever like legal receipt that goes in place to help them with that. Like what the expectation of work and labor is. Like what you know they can do with your content. The time limitations that you have. And that when you're gonna get paid. So having a lawyer again that understands the creator economy is so. So important. And then the third person I would say that everyone needs to plan to have to offset them is going to be whatever VA or project manager that you would have who can take off tasks from you. Like email or scheduling content, you know, doing the writing up of your, your show notes or your descriptions, making sure that the videos are getting scheduled and published at the right date, keeping you on track for things. If you've done sponsorships, they're the ones that are making sure that you have hit all of the things that you've agreed upon in that contract and that those things are getting done. Having that second pair of like Administrative eyeballs is so powerful and so necessary, and I always laugh because the first thing the vast majority of creators want to offload is editing, and I think it's because they get so wrapped up in the creative that they forget about the the paperwork part of their businesses. But if you want a great editing service, I'm happy to give a referral for that because there's a really there's, I work with a great service to help put this podcast together. But having those people in place that like you have to talk to and manage because it doesn't matter how great your videos are if you get yourself into legal trouble you're screwed if you Get yourself into tax problems you're screwed if you don't deliver on things you're screwed
0: <laughs> no definitely give me the, the editing contact after we're done too because i'm always looking i hate editing i don't edit at all i don't edit any of my long form videos which in my niche in, in my niche it kind of works just because mm-hmm you know, if I make a little mistake or whatever, I just kind of keep going. And like, people are like, kind of know that that's okay. I mean, I I pay like right now for like 50 shorts a month. I have a shorts editor who just kind of takes some existing content, creates shorts and things like that. But I'm always looking where I've really struggled though, is like, I create, you know, five, six, sometimes seven videos a day. So it's like, I almost need an editor, like in this office with me, like sitting next to me. Cause like, otherwise, like, how are they going to be able to turn this all around? And I don't know. I've always struggled with that, but always looking for, people to help me with that kind of stuff too because I'm not good at it and I don't pretend to be <laughs> I've, had
1: a, I've had an editor since day one of my YouTube channel like I had a business that YouTube supported which is why I needed to have um, a YouTube channel And so, I've had an editor since day one. I went on a Fiverr and found some college kid who's just trying to build up a portfolio. And I'm like, this is, like, the simple thing that I need. And I've had an editor the whole time because I always knew. Because I'm a mom. Like, when I started my YouTube channel, I was, like, still breastfeeding my kids. Like, they were little. So, like, I had a thousand things to do in, like, this much amount of time. And so, for me, I had to have, like, things. If I wanted something, I had to remove my bottlenecks. And editing was a big part of that for me. So... Yeah. So I totally get that. So it, it just funny to me, like, but I had, like, I, I had a lawyer and I had a CPA and I had to be all in place before an editor. But again, it's cause I had that business piece attached to it as well.
0: You know, on your CPA point too. And, and I have those two, and those are something things I did right when I started the LLC, like let's yes. get those things figured out. Uh, and then, you know, it's funny cause I went through <laughs> three or four different CPAs until I found the one I wanted because like it's crypto, right? So like most of the CPAs are like, Oh, you're in crypto. No like I'm not working with you. Or like I would ask a question like do you know what this is? Do you know what that is? No. No, I'm like and then finally I found somebody who like they said a few things like only deep crypto investors would know and I'm like you're hired. <laughs> you're the one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I have a I have a friend. She's a friend who turned into my my CPA. Her name is Devin and she is the COO of Braille Skateboarding, which is the largest skateboarding brand on YouTube. They do a daily video. They have over five a million and a half subscribers. It's this whole thing, and I remember seeing her speak at Video Marketing World back in 2019, and she was on stage talking about how like you need to have a CPA and account that understands your business because. I have to do things like explain to the IRS why I have to write off a hundred thousand marbles that we filled into a skating rink and you know, did a video with it. Cause they're like, what? Like, like you have to be able to, sh- they have to be able to understand that. So if you have like a really traditional accountant or CPA, it doesn't matter how old they are. If they're traditional. They're not going to get it. And the same also works for your lawyer. I have a lawyer who has helped me with like my estate planning and, You know, traditional business things like LLCs, S Corps, like all of that stuff. But when I needed to have contracts put into place for my creator economy work, she just didn't get it. And it was going to cost me thousands of dollars in her rate for her to research and learn about it versus just going to my network and being like, who here is a creator lawyer? And talk to the creator lawyer who already had like existing templates in place to help me with what I was doing. So like I said, we are... In a really cool business and a really cool industry where we can literally make, you know, replace like salaries that fund our lives while recording stuff in our bedrooms. But we also, it also comes with like specialty care and needs that I think is really important. And what, and I always, and I think this is the right place to talk about it because if you want to be a successful creator, you have to be a successful business owner. And being a successful business owner means having the right, systems and paperwork in place so that you can operate and run successfully, which is a total creative buzzkill.
0: Right, right. Super necessary. <laughs> right. A hundred percent.
1: We've talked a lot about your income streams. You've help us understand like the state of crypto and why we should not be scared of it anymore. Could you share with us what your next money move is going to be?
0: So as I mentioned there before, my XT algo company, I'm really, really focused on continuing to expand that and also kind of reigniting the Patreon again, because I I know that I've kind of let that fall by the wayside a little bit. uh, And I want to kind of reignite that, get that going again. Uh, But outside of that, you know, it's investing as well. You know, I'm looking, I'm an investor as well. Like, you know, that's another source of revenue i guess i could have put that in the pie chart (laughs) as long as as i'm winning and not losing on my investments that's a source of income i feel
1: like that's probably like an out an output like when i break down my like i have a i have investments in an ira and all that kind of stuff that's output for future income so i don't consider that in revenue right now
0: (laughs) right Right. But I would like to get into real estate. You know, I just bought a condo for myself, but eventually the next step is kind of diversify into real estate because I've got exposure to stocks and crypto and some businesses and things like that uh, that are inside my S Corp. But I think the next thing would be to get into real estate in some capacity. It's another thing I don't understand fully, but I'm going to try to find the right people who do. And yeah. Just
1: build it in public
0: yeah from crypto
1: to real estate what's this look like
0: yeah exactly
1: exactly well thank you so much for your time today zach and for sharing your financial journey with us so that we can all know and learn and have a better idea of what we can do as creators to make more money remember you can find everything about zach and all the things that he've talked about in our show notes over at thefundedyoutuber.com. until next week thank you and goodbye Funded YouTuber is brought to you by Gigastar, a parent company of Gigastar Market, an SEC-registered funding portal, and member of FINRA. Learn more at gigastar.io. Music provided by APM Music, unrivaled music to bring your stories to life. Neither Gigastar nor its affiliated companies provide legal, regulatory, financial, or tax advice. Any opinions expressed herein are those of the authors and are the informational purposes only. The information and opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice and do not take into account the particular investments, objectives, finance situation, or needs of any... Pacific Investors.